the latest headlines. Hard to imagine them not as one of the best teams in history. The insightful interviews. Jerry Greenberg, NBA TV. Virtually all teams in basketball could have played Kevin Durant with the Warriors Tatum. The hottest takes. Go and play for a team talented as Golden State and win a championship. Can all be found on Press, Press Row. Row. Broadcasting as part of the Brew Sports Network. Here's your host. It doesn't matter what your name is. Christian Heimel. And so here you are. We've gone through a few months of the baseball season. We've got some tremendous individual divisional races, which are a lot of fun to watch. You've got some great individual storylines. Eric Thames in Milwaukee, Aaron Judge in New York, Cody Bellinger over in Los Angeles, as well as some other really good stories going on throughout the world of Major League Baseball. And it's all going to come to a screeching halt in one of the most boring ways possible. The All-Star Break. Welcome on Press Row, everybody. I'm your host, Christian Heimel. So glad to have you guys a uh, part of the show. Again, you can always check in with us on Twitter, at Chris Heimel. You can ask any questions you would like for next week's show on there. But, yes, the All-Star break is upon us. It hits Monday morning. The festivities begin tomorrow in Miami with FanFest, going all the way up through the All-Star game on Tuesday. And, listen... I love baseball as much as anybody else. I will happily watch a no-name baseball game over any other football, basketball, hockey. I will happily watch any baseball game there is. But I have a serious problem with the All-Star break and the things that go on. And you're starting to see some of that go through the clubhouses throughout baseball here this past couple of days. Let's start with the All-Star game itself. It's a popularity contest from a voting standpoint. The fact that Mike Trout, and I understand he's the best player in baseball, but the fact that Mike Trout is named a starter because of the fan votes over a guy like Mookie Betts, who did get in because of Mike Trout's injury, but no offense to Mike, he shouldn't have been there. He's the best player in baseball, but he's been injured for the last two months. So why in the world is Mike Trout an all-star? Because he's voted on by the fans. So when we start looking at guys for Hall of Fame categories, and you're going to sit there, and Mike Trout's going to have the numbers to really prove that he's a Hall of Famer no matter what. But when you sit there and say he's a X-time All-Star, all it means is that he was voted prom king a certain amount of years. That's my biggest issue when it comes to the All-Star game. The fact that you have guys who don't deserve it, but maybe they live in a bigger market or play for a bigger market team, and they have more fans in their area. Or you have a year like last year, two years ago, when the Kansas City Royals fans all of a sudden went nuts because they were so behind their team, like the Chicago Cubs were this year because everybody came out of the woodworks after a championship. It doesn't reward an all-star in the sense of the word. It doesn't reward the fact that there are great players putting up great numbers, but because they maybe play for... Milwaukee, or Houston, or uh, Tampa Bay, teams that are struggling, like the Rockies, like the Mariners, they're not going to be named an all-star because their fans don't vote for them as much. I have no problem with the fans being a part of the voting process. The all-star game is built for the fans. That's all it is. But the fact that the fans are going to have this much say in the All-Star game kind of bothers me. 
And I understand it's only for the starters and the managers get to choose the other 20 guys that are going to be on the roster. And when it comes down to injuries and guys who don't want to play, the true all-star numbers are like 40, 50, whatever it is. But at some point, it's going to become a joke. At some point, the fans are going to completely take over. And this isn't a new concept, by the way. And it's not just media members or fans who are a little bit disgruntled that their favorite player didn't make it in. This has been going on for almost two decades now. Go back to the All-Star Game at Fenway in 1999 when Derek Jeter, because he played for the Yankees, which were the dynasty of of that time, he was voted the All-Star Game starter at shortstop. But even he knew that Nomar had earned that starting position from the numbers that he put up. And to Derek Jeter's credit, the class act that he is, he did Nomar's signature little toe tap in the batter's box his first at-bat, signifying that it should have been Nomar in that spot. So this isn't a new concept. But what do we do about it? Is there anything we can do about it? Sure, you could go to a straight media vote, but that won't be fun because then you're going to have media guys who don't vote for someone just because they didn't give them an interview or they gave them a bad interview. Or you're going to have media guys who vote for somebody else because they're great with the media or whatever it is. Could you go to a manager's vote? Maybe, but then again, same thing. Maybe a manager doesn't like this guy's personality. Maybe some guy bat flipped on his pitcher and didn't like it. What if you do a combination of it all? In the world of college sports, for an all-conference team, the way it works is that you have the man, the coach, you have the school's sports information director, also known as a public relations manager, and then they choose X amount of media members that cover their team. So let's say, for argument's sake, every major league team, the manager votes on the all-star team, the team's PR rep votes on the all-star team, and then we'll say two media members. Let's say the radio guy and the newspaper reporter. So you have four votes. The manager and the team's PR rep can't vote for any player on their own roster. You have them vote. The names that come up the most, they're there towards the starting lineup. Then the fans get to come in. Fans do a fan vote, and it's a percentage or a point system. You know, Let's say it accounts for 25% of the starting lineup vote. Or let's say it accounts for 40%, and then the manager and the media, that accounts for 60 Fine. The fans still have a say in it, but it prevents ballot stuffing from the fans in those markets where they have one good year and everybody loses their mind, like in Chicago or in Kansas City. Or it prevents fans from just voting for a guy who isn't able to play like a Mike Trout. Because that defeats the purpose. You're voting to see Mike Trout play, but he's not going to because of an injury. So what's the point in doing that? There really isn't one. That's my biggest issue with the All-Star Game. The second issue that I have with it is that the Home Run Derby is becoming very much like the slam dunk contest in the NBA. How often are we going to sit there and watch guys do the same exact thing when batting practice every day is essentially a Home Run Derby? Yeah, you got these guys tinkering with their swings, but once the big dudes jump in, once John Carlos Stanton steps into the uh, turtle there, steps into the cage, he's swinging for the fences. They're all doing it. And now you've got guys like Bryce Harper saying on ESPN, no, no less, on a national audience saying there's no chance he's going to participate in the Home Run Derby. Some guys don't want to do it. I get their fear that it messes with their swing, but guys, come on. 
your, your numbers go down late in the year because you're playing 162 games. You're tired. Your body is sore. You've got scrapes and bruises, whatever it is. It's not because you took part in a home run derby. You can alter your swing for that one day and then go back to your normal routine. It's really not that big of a deal. But when you've got guys who don't want to do it, the ones the fans want to see who don't want to do it, that becomes a little bit disheartening probably to Major League Baseball. So what do they do to try to combat this? They bring in Giancarlo Stanton's teammate in Justin Bauer. Or they bring in Aaron Judge's teammate in Gary Sanchez. So now you've got two guys in the same locker room who probably have a little home run derby between themselves every day in batting practice because that's what those guys do. Now having to put that on display or getting to put that on display for the fans at the home run derby. Sure, it's going to be great for Yankees fans and Marlins fans, especially since Miami's hosting it. But for those other fans who really want to partake in it and maybe see their guy, like Manny Machado in Baltimore, or Chris Davis even in Baltimore, maybe even Hanley Ramirez in Boston, or Charlie Blackman in Colorado, just for argument's sake. Those type of guys. What does that really do for anybody? It doesn't do anything for their fan base. And when you're going to have the best players and the most the ones the fans want not being excited or not wanting to do it it takes things away from it my third and my biggest and one of my other biggest issues is the timing of it you're going to have this the week after 4th of July the week after free agency for the NBA and the NHL and we all know the first 4 days of the NBA's free agency period which we are currently in still by the way the first week are mind blowing they take away everything so why not just move it up a week early? You could have the All-Star Game on 4th of July. You would have this year at least because it was on a Tuesday, which that would have been awesome. Would have been great. And your headlines, like how tremendous Cody Bellinger is doing, or the fact that Eric Thames hit two bombs yesterday, doesn't get overshadowed by the fact that Gordon Hayward left and went to the Celtics. Or that Paul George got traded to the Thunder, and now he's going to help them combat Kevin Durant. Major League Baseball is in a very crucial moment in its history because it keeps getting slapped around left and right for time issues. How long it is as a season, how long it is as an individual game. And to be able to really try to combat that and keep the fans, the young fans engaged, you need to start finding different ways to do it. I'm not saying it's the end-all be-all. I'm not saying that the All-Star game is going away. But look at the NHL All-Star weekend. The skills competition, it's so much fun. NBA All-Star Weekend, the celebrity game is so much better. My favorite part of the All-Star Week for baseball is that celebrity legend softball game. That would be fun. A skills competition where, let's say, Yasiel Puig is trying to throw out Billy Hamilton after tagging up at third. Or which catcher's got the best pop time. Sure, those things are a glorified combine, but... They would be kind of fun to see if, if a guy like Yadier Molina can really throw out some of the best runners in the game. Trey Turner, for example. That would be a lot of fun to see Yadi go against Trey five, ten, ten times. See who's got the better skill set there. But who knows? The All-Star Weekend is great. It's a lot of fun for the fans. Well, a guy who knows all about the MLB All-Star Game coming up here in just a couple of days. He's going to have 
a little bit of a break here with the All-Star Game coming up. He is Pete McCarthy, host of WOR's Sports Zone on 710 WOR in New York. He's kind enough to join us now. Pete, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, Pete, let's get right into it with the All-Star Game coming up on Tuesday. I know that it's a, a welcome break for a lot of players as well as a lot of journalists and team staff members after a little more than being halfway through this season. But from a fan standpoint, you've been a part of this. You've been there with the fans when it was held at City Field in 2013. What can the folks in Miami expect from this week's All-Star Game? Yeah, one of the big things when I worked at MLB.com that I always uh, had an opportunity to spend quite a few days at was uh, Fan Fest, which would start on Friday and run until Tuesday, the day of the All-Star Game. And you have Hall of Famers uh, you know, walking around, signing autographs, taking pictures with fans. You have... You know, baseball cards, memorabilia, all kinds of uh, of cool stuff, and it, it just brings you know so much uh, of baseball together. But I, I think you know my favorite part of it is um, you know the futures game is a lot of fun. Seeing you know nineteen twenty year olds uh, having you know the ability to play in a major league stadium and you know really have the microscope put on them, and of course. You know, I think first-time All-Stars and the guys that are kind of new to it and walking around wide-eyed and can't believe they're in a clubhouse with, you know, all the greats of the game. So, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that uh, that I think really stands out and still makes the All-Star game special, even if it's not the, you know, rivalry that it was decades ago between these two leagues. So I've got a couple of problems with the All-Star game. The first one being I hate how the World Series home advantage in Game 7 is decided here in July. Uh, but I understand that it is a lot for the fans to see the best players there. Um, is there a way to possibly make the All-Star game a little bit more ultra-competitive without risking injury to any of these players? Is there any way to even improve the All-Star game if that's possible? Yeah, they've basically just um, you know played it halfway now, right? Where uh, they don't want anybody to get hurt and you know guys aren't going to you know take out the catcher like Pete Rose anymore. And not that you could do that anyway, but you know... You, it doesn't have the edge that it once did. You know, like I was saying, decades ago, the leagues, you know, had a rivalry. This was one of the two opportunities to prove which league was better. And guys spent their entire careers in the National League or the American League, and they were one league or the other. You know, now with player movement being what it is and, and guys changing, um, you know, teams often, and there's it, just not the same rivalry or, or pride in being a National League player or an American League player. And I really think, you know, that's the only way to make it matter. You have to have the players, you know, dislike each other to some degree. Otherwise, you know, they're going to go out there, try to throw, you know, 99 miles per hour and hit the ball 500 feet and have, you know, that great all-star moment. But, you know, ultimately, um, you know, the game itself is, you know, that's how you kind of stand out rather than, you know, uh, getting the, you know, the, the big two-run single in the fifth inning to put your team up and, you know, that probably gets forgotten about uh, you know, a week later. So my biggest issue with the All-Star Game is the fact that the voting process is basically a popularity contest. And in this day and age with social media, it's all about being a superstar or whatever and having that face. Uh, and to say now that a guy's a nine-time All-Star probably means that he just played on a big market team that was relatively successful during his career. Is there a way to, to maybe change up the voting? Should there be a way to change up the voting? where the fans still have a part, but guys like Mike Trout, who don't play for a couple of months because of injury, aren't named as starting all-star over players like Mookie Betts, who have had a little bit better of a first half? 
Yeah, because Mike Trout's the best player in baseball, and I want to see Mike Trout. I want to see him over Mookie Betts, and fans want to see Mike Trout over Mookie Betts. So, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. You know, guys, a good three months to start a season. It's the All Star Game. It's about the fans seeing, you know, the players that they either think are the best or the most popular. Now, I think the issues that you run into are like when the Royals fans stuffed the ballot box a few years back, and it's not really what the nation wants to see. It's just a fan base that's been, you know, invigorated by its team and, you know, stuff in the boxes. But, you know, in the case of a player who's a big star who maybe doesn't have a great first half and is outplayed by somebody else, but the fans want to see that guy in the game, I don't have a problem with that, you know, for a second. So, you know, I don't think that there's, you know, it's an imperfect science, but, you know, listen, there are, what, like uh, 30 guys on each roster, and then, you know, some of the players won't be able to play because of injury and this and that. So you end up with about 80 all-stars total. <laughs> you can't make the cut of the top 80. You know, I hate hearing about the subs every year and this and that. It's, it's 80 all-stars now. If you're not, you know, making that cut, then, you know, either you know, not a, a big enough star within the game or your first half wasn't good enough. <laughs> not a not a bad way to look at it there, Pete. The thing that fans really do care about coming up on Monday night is that home run derby. That's my it, baby. It, I love that. <laughs> and um, it, it's probably gotten a lot more attention than it has in recent years because, number one, you got guys like Bryce Harper saying no chance at going and participating in it. Why is it that you have some guys who just don't want to be a part of this? Yeah, guys worry about affecting their swing. They worry about... Fatigue if you're taking, you know, what, 50 cuts as hard as you possibly can. And I don't think that there's a, a slump. There's a couple of, you know, players that have been pointed to have lousy second halves compared to the first halves. But guess what? If you play well enough in the first half that you end up in the home run derby, chances are things are going to balance out in the second half. It's not exactly shocking that guys' numbers are going to go down. Now, I do think fatigue can be a factor, and for, you know, Bryce Harper with a team that's in, you know, first place and hoping to do damage in the playoffs, if they could uh, somehow, some way get that bullpen figured out, I can understand him not wanting to be fatigued and prioritizing, you know, his team to taking part in the home run derby. So, you know, I won't kill him for that, but uh, overall, you know, you want to see, you know, the star power in the derby, and guys, you know, can raise their profile uh quite a bit taking part in it so um i think they got a pretty good group this year i mean everyone wanted to see aaron judge and, and cody bellinger and some of the young stars of the game get an opportunity and of course john carlos stanton's always must watch in this thing so you know it's not uh it's not deep but they they got some of the key guys that you really wanted to see and you know who knows maybe next year harper gets involved when the nationals are hosting the all-star game it's kind of funny that you go from a guy in bryce harper who everybody wants to see in the home run derby to a guy like Logan Morrison, who outside his own team's media market, fans probably don't really know who he is, being upset that he got snubbed from the home run derby. Which I've never heard before. Usually they're begging guys to take part in the home run derby, but you know, a guy with 20 plus home runs not getting the opportunity. That's uh, and, and complaining about it. That's that's something different. But you know, he's got kind of a point here because in the American League, you've got teammates in the Yankees and Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez who are going to be competing against one another. And I guess, yeah, that could be a fun little storyline. You've got two sets of teammates here with Judge and Sanchez and then Giancarlo Stanton and Justin Bauer in for the Marlins doing in the home run derby. Why do we have two sets of teammates? Yeah, but you also have a guy complaining that he's not taking part. And, you know, he's got 20-plus home runs this year. And, you know, so they're not hurting too bad to get guys. 
I'd prefer one per team. I don't have any interest in seeing teammates go at it. The only teammates I'd want to see go at it are Giancarlo Stanton and Ichiro Suzuki. I would love to see Ichiro in this thing. But, you know, anyway, uh, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, you get more uh, fans involved, you know, if you mix it up a little bit more rather than the Yankee fans having two guys to root for. Um, so I, that's something that, that I can understand. Um, but, you know, it's not it's not as much of an issue to find guys if someone is complaining they, they didn't take part of it. I think one of the other players everyone wanted to see was Joey Gallo of the Rangers. He had some monster home runs. He's kind of a an, a one-trick pony. But, uh, you know, he decided not to take part, which is kind of odd because, you know, it's his natural swing. It's just uh, launching the ball as far as he can. But uh, I think more often than not this year, and like I said, I think it's new to, to have a player complain that uh, they didn't get a shot in the Derby. He's Pete McCarthy, host of WOR Sports Zone on WOR 710 in New York. Mainly covers the Mets, and uh, so we'll touch on them real quick with the trade deadline coming up. Mets uh, a little bit ago mentioned who they were going to have available at the trade deadline, but what are you hearing from them? Are they expected to be sellers, or are they going to stay put here in a couple weeks? Yeah, they won 7 of 9 after that, so there was some optimism they could turn things around, but they've lost the last two to the Washington Nationals and now, you know, double-digit deficits for the wild card, for the division, and you're running out of time. So at this point, it would seem they're far more likely to be sellers uh, than anything else. I think they do have to commit one way or the other with the amount of free agents that they have at the end of the season. The question is, you know, who's valuable that they can sell? Addison Reed's done a nice job in the back of the bullpen, and we know bullpen arms are always in demand this time of year. Uh, but the Mets also have, you know, Lucas Duda and Jay Bruce and, you know, power hitting guys that aren't terribly athletic or uh, mobile at this point in their careers. And, you know, teams have been shying away from that type of player starting uh, this past off season. So, you know, how much they can land for some of these players is obviously, uh, you know, something we'll see. Maybe it's, you know, some bullpen arms that might be able to help next year, some young guys that, you know, maybe have struggled at the big league level, but, um, you know, uh, getting a uh, you know blue chip prospects is is not going to be the kind of uh, selling episode here for the Mets. Prior to the start of the season, back in March and February, there was a lot of talk that Andrew McCutcheon may be the biggest name dealt at the deadline. Haven't heard much on that front really since then. Is there a player or a team that you see maybe making the biggest splash come the end of this month of the trade deadline? Well, I, I think the Nationals are the team to watch because they have the lineup that you need. To win they have the starting rotation that you need to win but once you get into the postseason the most important area of your team is your bullpen if you have two or three guys you trust you could throw them in just about every single game and, and we saw how andrew miller uh, affected the playoffs last year how Roldis chapman was able to affect the playoffs last year it's not just one guy you need to have some depth in that bullpen so you know the nationals they haven't won a playoff series yet the bullpen's a big reason why they not only have to go out and get somebody, they got to go out and get two or three uh, pitchers, I think, uh, before the deadline and, and make a serious run at this thing. You know, Bryce Harper is a free agent after next season. They have a limited clock to get things done. So, to me, that's the number one thing. And if the Nationals can add, you know, two or three arms to that bullpen, uh, then they can, you know, challenge the Dodgers. And it would seem one of those two teams uh, will be coming out of the National League unless something wacky happens, which uh, – tends to happen in the month of October, but uh, that's that's what I'll be watching for at the trade deadline. 
He's Pete McCarthy, host of WOR Sports Zone on WOR 710 in New York. Pete, thanks a lot for the time. Enjoy the All-Star break, and uh, best of luck the rest of the season with those Metropolitans. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make it work, and we'll see some of the kids coming up, I guess. But uh, appreciate it, Chris, and thanks for having me on. That's Pete McCarthy. A lot of fun talking with him. Always great catching up. Uh, done a lot of work across Major League Baseball, now mainly focusing on the New York Mets, but always fun to talk about him. You know, he, he brings up some good points, and I mentioned at the top of the show that I have some issues with the All-Star Week, but he brought up some points that maybe uh, you, know, you kind of need to consider a little bit. I mean, yeah, we get it. You want to see Mike Trout. You don't want to see Mookie Betts, but you know what? Mike Trout's not going to play because he's injured. So, in my opinion, I still don't think there was a real reason for voting for him. But, uh, you know, and then from the home run derby standpoint, yeah, I, I think we both kind of agree in the fact that uh, it, it's going through a little bit of identity crisis right now. It needs some of the better faces in the game. And who knows? Maybe Harper will change his mind next year when uh, the All Star festivities head to D.C. And, and the Nationals are there. But uh, we're closing it in a couple of weeks on the. Um, on the trade deadline, which will be really interesting to see. I do think the Nationals, like Pete said, need to get some bullpen help. Everybody needs some bullpen help. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Mets start selling off guys like Addison Reed. They're not going to send him in the division to the Nationals. So uh, it'd be interesting to see where he goes, if maybe he ends up in Milwaukee to try to bolster that bullpen um, a little bit as they try to hold on to this division lead. Maybe he goes to the Red Sox, uh, to the Indians potentially, as they're trying to build up their division leads right now. Uh, Houston doesn't really need any more help. They just need to get a little bit healthier, which is what every team in the All-Star break is going to do. Out West, uh, Arizona's got some great pitching to go along with that lineup. I don't know what they can add to maybe really challenge the Dodgers, but uh, I I don't see Andrew McCutcheon leaving. That's not going to happen. I don't know if there's going to be a big-name guy that gets traded, but it'll be interesting to see who is among those teams that decide that, hey, we need to make some moves and we're going to make a big splash in order to do that to try to win a championship. So that's kind of what the fun about the trade deadline is. You're on Press Row. I'm Christian Heimel. Happy to have you guys with us as part of the Brew Sports Network. Once again, if you want to get in contact with me throughout the week, ask your questions, be a part of the show. You can follow me at Chris Heimel. We look so forward to having you as part of the show. We are currently in the midst of a lot of fun in the offseason as well for a couple of sports, mainly the NBA free agency going rampant over the last couple of days. A lot of big names making moves, a lot of big names moving on and doing some different things. The biggest one would be obviously Gordon Hayward making his announcement on July 4th uh, that he is leaving the Utah Jazz and heading to the Boston Celtics. Kind of the writing on the wall. I've said it a number of times on this show before. I thought it was pretty much a given. The Celtics had the trade, uh, had the the cap room to be able to sign him, especially since they didn't really give up anything in the draft process other than acquiring Jason Tatum. Uh, And then, of course, playing with his college coach, Brad Stevens. That system fits Gordon a little bit more. He can shoot the three a little bit more. And now he becomes that. Uh, that number three guy that's you know is a tremendous option for the Celtics. I, I say number three in terms of you know the point guard, the off guard, and the the small forward. That's where Gordon will obviously play, but he's probably their number two option. Uh, and and he's a tremendous talent that is really coming into his own at just 27 years old. And the Celtics got a great pickup. Uh, I do honestly think this pushes. I think this pushes them over the top because I said this all along with the draft of Jason Tatum, uh, as well as the acquisition of a guy like Gordon Hayward. 
Now they have another legitimate scoring threat like Isaiah Thomas. They have another solid rebounder like Al Horford. And they have a guy who's able to play defense out on the wings a little bit. Uh, maybe against a, a J.R. Smith. I'm not saying he's going to go and shut down LeBron James. But with the inability for the Cavs to really do anything in the offseason, uh, I think the Celtics now become the favorite in the East. With Paul George out, the Wizards aren't really doing anything. They may be losing Otto Porter. Um, and who knows if they're going to have anybody else uh, there in that backcourt. So I don't really see anybody challenging the Celtics or the Cavs. It's going to be one of those two teams. And I do think the Celtics are probably going to be the team that comes out of the East uh, and, and makes it to the NBA Finals. But we'll eventually see how that all works. Some of the other big names that move, moved around a little bit. Obviously, you had the trade of James Harden and Chris Paul, which we touched on uh, last week, getting James Harden with Chris Paul, putting them together. Um, as well, the Warriors just continue to re-sign their guys, which are tremendous. A good job for them uh, to keep that bit together. Um, it looks like Rajon Rondo will not be back with the Chicago Bulls next year, so they have hit the full-on reset button. Uh, seems as though he will be waived uh, if he is not traded, um, but I would not be surprised to see him end up somewhere. Potentially, he could be an interesting fit with the Lakers uh, and a veteran presence to teach Lonzo Ball. Uh, that would be a really cool thing. I, I think that it would work out well for them. And speaking of the Lakers, uh, they're missing out on Paul George with his trade to the Thunder. I don't know how much Paul George really helps the Thunder at all. Um, I think he's a, a talented scorer and someone, he's not going to replace Kevin Durant, but he's a good scorer. He's a decent rebounder. He's a big body, which definitely helps when you're playing defense. That is still 100% Russell's team. Um, but like we touched on a couple weeks ago, I mentioned this. Um, with regards to a guy like a Gordon Hayward or a Jimmy Butler or or even um, you know Carmelo Anthony, is if you're going to go out there and, and make a move to bring those guys in, you need to be one of two teams. You need to be a team that is damn sure you can win a championship in that minimal window that you have for Paul George cases that one year, or you need to be pretty sure that you can sign him to a long-term deal. I think the Thunder are both of those teams. I think Oklahoma City has a chance to not only go deep into the playoffs, maybe a Western Conference final, I don't think they beat the, the Warriors, but maybe they get right there on the precipice of it and maybe something falls their way and they're able to get a victory. Um, or, you know, I also think that they are a team that is able to re-sign the uh, talent that is Paul George for a couple extra years maybe. Um, I don't think it's a given. I've heard some people say this, that it's a given now that Paul George ends up with the Lakers next summer. I don't see that. I think he goes there. He plays for one year. I think he enjoys playing with Russell Westbrook and seeing how much they win. And maybe Oklahoma City becomes that destination uh, that everybody talks about. And maybe they're able to recruit a couple extra guys. And maybe he stays in OKC. Who knows? But it's um, it's it's interesting. I think it really could be uh, a fun year for him there in Oklahoma City, and I think the Thunder will do well with him. So now the question becomes is what other dominoes are there to fall? I don't see many of them. Um, Rajon Rondo, probably the biggest one. After that, if Dwayne Wade decides that he's going to be sticking around then and playing in the NBA, who does he end up playing for? Um, you know, where do some of these other big names go? But it'll all be interesting to see. Um, it, it is a, a pretty exciting Time for the NBA. It's it's interesting, you know. I, I I'm not a huge NBA fan. I'll watch some of the games. I'll definitely watch the playoffs. But 
the offseason has been more entertaining than the actual season was. And that's kind of the state of the NBA right now is that you're more focused on where are these players going and what are they doing. Um, so, you know, it, it, we're sitting here waiting with bated breath. Is Porzingis going to be traded? Is Carmelo going to be moved? Does Kevin Love have another year available in, uh, in, in Cleveland? I mean, can, can the uh, Clippers do anything to keep anybody other than just Blake Griffin? I mean, they lost Chris Paul. Are they going to be able to keep DeAndre Jordan? Who knows? I mean, I, I like that Blake Griffin stayed. I think it's great. I don't think he's got pieces there to stay around a little bit longer. Um, but the move that probably surprised me the most was J.J. Redick going to Philadelphia. I, I like that move for them. Sixers, I think, will be a fun team to watch. But again, if they're healthy, that's kind of been their M.O. The entire uh, few years has been when they're healthy, they're going to be really good. Problem is, we've never seen them healthy. So who knows how it all plans out for the rest of the summer, but it is a lot of fun watching the NBA. Well, the dominoes have begun falling in NBA free agency. And one guy who has been up on top of all of it is Stefan Florval from Black Sports Online, and he now joins us on the phone. Stefan, thanks a lot for the time. Christian, thanks for having me. So we're about a week in now to free agency, and we've already seen a number of trades. Gordon Hayward leaving for the Celtics. What have been your thoughts on the first few days of NBA free agency? So how about the craziness of the 4th of July? You thought going in, we had the past couple of years, we had LaMarcus Aldridge two years ago, Durant last year. So you're thinking this year it's going to be a low-key free agency. Chris Paul is off the board. You saw Paul Millsap go off the board. But Gordon Hayward going to Boston, to me, changes the entire dynamic going forward. Not that he's the superstar they need or the player that puts them over the top to beat the Cavs. But with Hayward, they now have a nice core with Isaiah Thomas, Hayward, Al Horford, and the assets to move forward where you have Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown and future picks where if another star should come up in trade discussions, they can now position themselves to be a major player in the NBA going forward. You know, the writing was kind of on the wall, I think, with Gordon Hayward. He's going to go back and play for his college coach. The system fits him a little bit better. They can offer him a decent amount of money. Uh, but is he really kind of the player that the Celtics need to be able to win a postseason series against the Cleveland Cavaliers? By himself, I'd say no. I would say even if you look at him right now on Boston, he's maybe their second option. However, I would say Hayward, the youth that he provides, he's going to be now in a more open-flow offense, as you mentioned, with Brad Stevens. He's going to be able to shoot threes. And if you look at his points per game, they've been trending upwards the past three, four seasons. So Hayward, his youth, he's only 27 years old. You throw him into that Celtics backcourt, they can go super long, super small. Tatum looks amazing in summer league. Jalen Brown looks to be taking the next step in his second year. So the Celtics... More so a team on the rise. We usually say that teams either have to tank and rebuild or build towards a title. Well, the Celtics simultaneously are kind of doing both here at the same time. It seems as though the Celtics are kind of the only team in the East really making any moves. I mean, the Cavaliers haven't really done much. Uh, they missed out on the Paul George scenario. And then, of course, the Patriots actually getting rid of Paul George. Uh, is there another team that really should be making a splash or trying to compete with those top-level teams in the East? Honestly, I'd say no. I would say it's really you're looking at Boston and you're looking at Cleveland and you're looking at six teams just kind of vying to just get some playoff games in for their home fan base. Because at the moment, the Cavs, I still think they're the favorite in the East. But if you're Cleveland, do you now look towards the Carmelo Anthony to kind of put yourself over the top and back into the discussion with Golden State? They're capped out. They don't have a ton of assets to move along off the books. So you have to look and see, hey, can they possibly – flip a Kevin Love, or maybe flip a couple assets down the line to add Carmelo. Because if you look at it, 
I would take Cleveland over Boston in maybe six games, but you're looking at LeBron James, who's 33 years old. Can he fully anchor that team playing multiple games of 40-plus minutes and going down the stretch? That's something to check out because Boston can easily, with what they have and the firepower to acquire another future player, they could definitely give Cleveland a run for their money this season. He's Stefan Florval, Black Sports Online, joining us here on Press Row. Flo, a lot of people keep saying that the Cavaliers need to do something to be able to compete with Golden State and win a championship, but it doesn't feel like they have enough to be able to do anything. What do the Cavs need, though, to get back there and possibly win another championship? A couple things. I think they need a backcourt ball handler. If you watched their offense last season, the offense initiated through Kyrie Irving and LeBron James, and when either one would be off the floor, it would kind of be much more of a lackluster flow on the offensive end because they didn't have a lot of ball handlers who could get their own shot, who could really pass the ball off well. Also, they could use a really good wing defender. You look at Golden State. They have several players who are long, who are athletic, who could get their own shot. Shumpert was supposed to be the guy who would come off the bench and be that wing defender guy for them. However, his offense is not the greatest, to say the least, and he struggled a bit so they could use a wing defender. And as if I'm compiling a grocery list here, they could also use another big rebounding down low. I think that's where you look at a Tristan Thompson or Kevin Love where you can't play them both at the same time. So perhaps the move might be you take one, you flip it to several assets where you're not getting a star back, but you're maybe getting several players you need that can kind of supplement your team and strengthen it from top to bottom going forward. Anytime we talk about a player leaving to another team like we were a little bit ago with Gordon Hayward, we always try to fight, figure out what that team that lost that player needs to do. How can the Utah Jazz uh, replace a guy like Gordon Hayward? Where do they go from here? Oof, they're in a tough spot. Uh, they're reportedly talking to James Johnson, but this is a tough flow. If you look at Utah, they did it by the book. They went into the lottery, they drafted their own guys, they developed them, and now they lose one of them to Boston. So for them, the East has been, I mean, excuse me, the West has taking a great leap forward where you have teams like Oklahoma City is going to be better, Minnesota is going to be better. So for them, they'll be vying for that seven, eight playoff spots, but they're probably going to find themselves in the lottery, and there's not really much you could do. When you lose an all-star, the caliber of Gordon Hayward at his age, you're looking at a sizable step back, and then you're going to possibly be back in the lottery. You kind of have to build this thing back up with another future draft pick. Stefan Florval, Black Sports Online, joining us. This summer was supposed to be dominated by the Lakers. They were supposed to be able to get Paul George and uh, a year early, maybe even be able to recruit LeBron James for next summer, but they miss out on that with Paul going to the Thunder. Your thoughts on that deal? I've heard a lot of people say that they think this proves that he's going to L.A. next year. I'm not convinced, but what are your thoughts? I think you're 100% correct. I don't think an, an, an aforementioned just a lock that he goes to Oklahoma City, does his penance, and then goes out to L.A. and lives off into the sunset. I think definitely if Oklahoma City, I think there may be another piece away from being a second round or maybe even a Western Conference team because of George and Russell Westbrook and you have Stephen Adams. You toss those three in there together, they're not that far away from not beating Golden State for being a very good 50-plus win team in the West. I think Paul George will eventually end up in Los Angeles next season, but this is a big year for L.A. They have to show that they're not just going to be a team in the cellar. They don't own their first-round pick this year, and it's really interesting to see them take a step forward because the pie-in-the-sky scenario that most people have dialed up. Yeah, Paul George coming, and LeBron's coming with him too, and they're going to L.A., and it's going to be LeVar Ball, it's going to be Lonzo Ball, and it's going to be Showtime, and Magic's running the show, and the Lake Show's going to be back.
well, you know, that's not just going to happen overnight. They need to take a step forward. They have several intriguing young players. It'd be nice to see L.A. kind of jump up into, like, that 35-plus win territory to kind of build some momentum going forward. How did Magic Johnson do this? How did he get a team that has been irrelevant for the last couple of years to all of a sudden be a destination where guys like Paul George and LeBron James are going to want to go and play with a kid in Lonzo Ball? It's Magic, baby. He's got that smile. He's got that cachet. He's just the guy you look towards, and you said, this is basketball. This is what I want to be a part of. It's what the Knicks thought they were getting several years back when they got Bill Jackson, but unfortunately they were duped on that front. But if you look at Magic Johnson, he knows what he does not know. He has Rob Palenka in there. He handles the GM duties. Magic more so getting himself up to date on the CBA, the intricacies with the CBA, and really just recruiting players and building the Laker brand. That's just a big thing going forward. I think Magic, while inexperienced, I think he'll be learning on the job and down the line. You're going to see he's going to be a great asset for L.A. as they try to build this thing back up. It's not even about being a title contender. How about just being a 45-win team that's respectable year in and year out? Last four years, no playoffs, top of the draft, drafting number two the last three years. Stephen Florval, Black Sports Online. Uh, let's go across the street in L.A. and talk about the Clippers where it seemed as though Everybody was leaving. Chris Paul, gone. Uh, Blake Griffin seemed to be gone. And then DeAndre Jordan wanted out. They get to keep Blake Griffin, but what's the status of the Los Angeles Clippers as a franchise? I don't know the best way to surmise the state of the Clippers. I thought once Chris Paul left, it probably was best to let Blake Griffin go and dial it back in a rebuild. And some have said, you know, you're in Los Angeles. You can't do a cold, hard rebuild, and you can't go through the draft. But their alternative right now at the moment is, Maxing out Blake Griffin, who very much so reminds me of Amari Stoudemire when he went to the Knicks, and the fact that he has all these injuries and all these miles, and now you're maxing him out for the foreseeable future. DeAndre Jordan next year, since you've gone all in with Blake Griffin, you'll have to max him out next summer as well, and you add Danilo Gallinari on a three-year contract that pays him over $20 million a year. I'm not a fan of the move. I think all three are extremely talented players, but I don't see Blake and Danilo staying on the floor, but they do have a great collection of intriguing talent. They have Danilo Danilo and the three guys, as we just mentioned. Also, they have Beverly, and they kind of have some pieces going forward where they could potentially make a playoff run for eventually what would be probably a first-round exit this season. With regards to Chris Paul and his move now to Houston to play with James Harden, my biggest question about it is who's going to be the two-guard in this backcourt? Who's going to play off the ball? I think James Harden is better suited for it, but he was also one of the top three guys in ball control last year. So how do those two guys coexist in Mike D'Antoni's system and maybe push Houston a little bit further up the Western Conference standings? Well, I trust D'Antoni to to get the talent to fit. I I guess you look at their GM, Daryl Morey, and he always says, just give me the talent and I'll worry about the fit later. I do think Paul and Harden will be able to coexist. I think you do have to look at the fact that Paul and his injury history the past couple of years, and he's a point guard heading into his 30s. So his prime is probably on the tail end of that. They'll definitely need another guard. But when you look at the fit with these two, I think Harden works, as you said, great off the ball. He's a great distributor as well. So you have two guys who can kind of distribute to the offense, get their own shot, very good shooters from the perimeter. I think there'll be some initial struggles, as is with any star combination that joins up. But I think you're going to see two guys who are going to be dynamic in the backcourt. I even think they're the best backcourt in the league. I'd put them over Steph and Clay because I think their ability to just get after and create their own shot is just something that is just next level in the league. 
it's been a while since we've been t- talking, but we haven't mentioned what I think is the biggest surprise of the free agency period so far is that Philadelphia is apparently a destination now. J.J. Redick going for a one-year deal. He's going to trust the process. What was your reaction to that signing? I think it was a great move for Philly, kind of transitioning into the next next step, just kind of moving on from a team that was tanking and losing games to a team building towards a playoff team. I will say, though, we should be pumping the brakes a little bit. Everyone kind of has them pegged in as that five or six seed in the East. Young teams don't win historically. I think they have a ton of talent. They have intriguing players. I would love to see Joel Embiid stay healthy despite his injury blows because I think Embiid has the potential to be one of the three or four best players in the league. But I think we do need to pump the brakes. We may be looking in Philly at another year where they win maybe 34, 35 games. They may not be ready for that leap, but you have to love what you saw as far as them recruiting J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid's impact on social media, and how they're just a trendy place to be. That's big among players, seeing that it's fun to go to Philly. They have these exciting young guys who can play all these different positions, who are selfless, and J.J. Redick wanted to be a part of that. Granted, it was on a one-year deal, but if you look at it, they're the it spot going forward, or one of them in the league going forward, out east. I'm impressed. We've gone nearly 15 minutes, and we haven't talked about the New York Knicks just yet. Your New York Knicks, I, I should say. Uh, a lot of people last week were, for whatever reason, celebrating the departure of Phil Jackson, but what can the Knicks do this summer to really re-energize that fan base? I think they should do nothing. That's exactly what they should do. In a way, they've Mr. Magoo their way into a smart offseason. They don't have a president. Players probably don't want to take their money and go there because they don't know the state of the franchise. They don't know who the president's going to be. They don't know what Carmelo is thinking right now or if he'll even be on the team. So as a result, they're not going to get any of the top guys, which is perfect. For nearly decades, this team has needed to rebuild, reshuffle the deck, go with young guys. They have their draft picks going forward. The lone thing Phil Jackson did, keeping their draft assets. So now you look at the Knicks going forward, and you're like, okay, they have the Joe Kimmel contract on the books. Bad, but okay, that's one bad contract. If you look at the rest of the roster, there are young players on the team where you could foreseeably see them play these kids, such as a Willie Hernan Gomez, a Porzingis, and now the French kid, who they picked eighth overall in the NBA draft. Going forward, the Knicks need to just be a team that saves their cap going forward, build through the draft, play these young kids, and if they tank this season, that may not energize the fan base, but for the long-term health of the franchise, that's desperately what they need to do. He's Stefan Florval of Black Sports Online. His latest column focuses around Chris Bosh and how his jersey will be retired by the Miami Heat after being released to free up some cap space. Uh, Stefan, you mentioned in there that you call it, quote, the ending of one of the most iconic stretches in the NBA. How are you going to remember Chris Bosh? I'm going to remember Chris Bosh as the guy who didn't get enough credit while he was playing, sacrificed for the team, and at the end of the day was a champion, a Hall of Famer, and just a first-class guy. I would say the biggest thing I think about him when I look at him is his off-the-court contributions. contributions excuse me. He's a very thoughtful man, very smart introspective he's really out of the box and I really think to have something like this happen to a Chris Bosh is really unfortunate because of that but on the court he was a champion he played that small ball five before it became so trendy and half the league was playing it and he really the first year when they got together said he thought it was going to be way easier he didn't realize the sacrifice would be as dire as it was you saw him break down that first year they lost to Dallas he was in the locker room, in the tunnel excuse me on the way to the locker room broke breaking down in tears Overall, a great guy, and 
little bit of a goofball off the court, too, the way he had those post-game antics with him and Wade and Braun and the camera. Just a great guy, a great dude who definitely deserves to have his number up in the rafters in Miami. Yeah, the medical issues that he's going through right now are absolutely tragic for Chris Bosh, and uh, he's one of my favorite players, and I think you're right, did not get near the credit that he deserved in Miami on those championship teams. He was also kind of forgotten about in Toronto. You talk about him being a goofball off the court. I'm always going to remember that used car sales ad that he created to help get him into the All-Star game, which kind of really summed up his personality. And how great was that? You had him doing that. You had his post-game interviews where he'd be doing the robot in the background behind Dwayne Wade. Like, that's the one thing you saw about Chris Bosh, which, which always came across as genuine to me. Because like, when the Miami Heat, when everyone was making the villains and bad guys, he was just smiling and acting his, his same old self. And this was a guy who genuinely was just fun, happy-go-lucky, and just glad to be part of it. You always say you want your athletes to see the fun of being an athlete and playing a kid's game for money. Like, this was a guy who truly embodied that to me. Stefan Florval of Black Sports Online. Flo, good to chat with you. Great catching up, my man, and uh, thanks a lot for the time. Hey, Christian, thank you again for having me. Stefan Florval, Black Sports Online. Check him out. Uh, some good stuff there with him. Yeah, you know, I mentioned the Chris Bosch thing with him, and it was uh, a little heartbreaking to hear he had the medical conditions that weren't going to allow him to play because Chris Bosch became that forgotten member of the big three almost, but he was so integral and he was so talented his entire run with Miami and and even in Toronto he was that guy he was what Kyle Lowry is now uh, where he was just almost forgotten because he played in Toronto yet he was perennially one of the better players in the league so to see him uh, get this due honor of having his number retired in Miami I think is tremendous Uh, he was the only guy who really stuck around Uh, obviously Dwayne Wade going back to Chicago Ray Allen um, finishing off his career, and then LeBron heading back to Cleveland. He was trying everything he could to to hold on uh, in Miami and keep playing and become one of those premier guys just by himself. But unfortunately, uh, medical issues getting in the way of that. And and yeah, I mean, it, he was, as, as Stefan mentioned, he was what you hope your athletes are when you say, enjoy being an athlete. And that's what Bosch did. From the post-game interview antics, uh, I will never forget. I don't know what year it was, or, or uh, but if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and search for Chris Bosh All-Star Game ad, and he's this used car salesman with this funky accent trying to get people to vote for him to send him to the All-Star Game. That was Chris Bosh, and, and yes, talented player, but that was him as a person. It was awesome. It was great. So uh, phenomenal honor for him. Well-deserved, good job by Pat Riley in the Heat to, to retire his number. And now for the Heat, they free up some cap space to maybe go and, and get a couple of guys to help them out in free agency. So we'll see. Didn't get a chance to talk with uh, with Stefan about Nick Young, uh, Swaggy P, going to the Warriors from Los Angeles. 32-year-old, a one-year, $5.2 million deal. Had a really good year last year. Uh, so it definitely helps, helps the Warriors. Um... But we'll see what that does for guys like JaVale McGee, who played really well in the postseason. Does McGee go elsewhere? Um, does a guy, you know, can a team bring him in? Who, who knows? Maybe the Lakers go and they eventually just, turns out they just end up swapping guys for whatever it is. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I think that was a pretty solid, pretty solid bit for, for Nick Young to move there. 
I like that move a lot for him and uh, and for the Warriors who just continue to, to retool. They don't really rebuild. They retool over there in Golden State. So we'll see exactly what keeps happening uh, in the world of NBA free agency. We'll be having all of those updates for you every single week. And again, if you have any questions, whatever, by all means, send them to us uh, online. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Heimel. Look very much forward to hearing from you guys throughout the year. We've touched on a lot of stuff today. I want to get to a couple of quick things that we haven't really had a chance to mention. We are closing in on training camp for the NFL as well as for some of these uh, uh, colleges. So we're going to get right into one of my favorite times of the year, which is college football season. But I do want to touch on on something that I, I saw. I saw the headline of it. Um, I didn't really go into it too much, but I loved it. Uh, I actually really kind of did like it. Colin Kaepernick, um, yet on uh, 4th of July, posting on social media of him going on a trip to Ghana where he was hoping to find, quote, personal independence. Um, he posted a video on Twitter. It said, how can we truly celebrate independence on a day that intentionally robbed our ancestors of theirs to find my independence? I went home, going back to Africa. L- listen, Say what you will about Colin Kaepernick. I didn't agree with how he protested. I agreed with his reasons to protest. And he has done a tremendous amount for African-American youth in this country. So for him, I don't know if he's going to get any flack. I certainly hope he doesn't. There's nothing wrong with him saying that. There's nothing wrong with him doing what he's doing. He's trying to become, and, and he's no longer... Colin Kaepernick, the football player. He is now Colin Kaepernick, the philanthropist, if you want to use that phrase. Uh, He's doing everything he possibly can to make the world a better place. And when it all comes down to it, that's what we need to do. Society is better when every man works towards a common goal. And when that common goal is a better society for our future generations, our descendants, that really is uh, a true accomplishment. And so I applaud Colin for, for doing that. I think it was a great move for him. Um, he, he's done a tremendous thing. He's done a lot of really good things. And if he ends up playing in the NFL again, I think that would be awesome for him. But if not, I, I you know I don't think there's anything wrong with him continuing to be a voice for people and continuing to be someone to look up to. There's nothing wrong with that. And for people who want to downplay it or try to put him down for it, I think that's beyond ridiculous. And, and those people are need to really look in a mirror before they start looking elsewhere to make comments and to, to be uh, pointing fingers at people. But that's just my personal opinion on that. So good on you, Colin. Um, even the timing of it, I wasn't upset about. I thought it was very, very good for him. So a couple other uh, notes real quick before we close up shop here. Connor McDavid, the Oilers uh, forward who uh, was named the most valuable player this year, now has the top annual salary, signed an eight-year, $100 million deal, going to get $12.5 million over the next eight years. That's the amazing part about this. When you think about these uh, basketball players who, you know, some guys sit out nights because they're tired, you got hockey players who are earning maybe a tenth of what they will. And they're putting their body through so much more. It, it's incredible to watch, uh, but that's just that's just hockey in our country. It's not that big money sport, but um, I love 
it's a great move. They have to, the Oilers, and they were really close. So good on Connor McDavid, the young man. That eight-year, $100 million deal. Zach Britton coming off the DL for the Orioles. He's going to be a huge help for them. How much of it, we'll find out because, again, it really depends on where the Orioles are. You know, As you look at the standings in the American League East, we all thought Baltimore would be one of those teams with Boston and Toronto fighting for a couple of playoff spots out of there, but it doesn't really seem as though the Orioles have that. I think Zach Britton's injury definitely hurt them a lot. If he is very talented and if he is the Zach Britton that we were used to seeing, um, even with the Orioles under 500, they may be out of playoff contention. He could be one of those guys shipped. So still a lot to get through, still a lot to figure out over the next couple of weeks in the trade deadline. But don't be surprised if you hear that name, Zach Britton, being tossed around a little bit as a trade piece. I want to thank my guest for today, Pete McCarthy from uh, 710WOR in New York, the host of WOR's Sports Zone, talking all-star game home run derby and just the state of Major League Baseball in general. And then Stefan Florival from Black Sports Online, uh, talking NBA free agency. You can find both of those guys on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter as well, at Chris Heimel. Please send me your questions for next week's show. We'll get into that and a whole lot more. Uh, maybe touch on a little bit more about this NFL stuff as we get a little bit closer to training camp as well. Until then, for everybody involved in the show, thank you guys so much for being a part of it. We look forward to seeing you next week on Press Row.